monster is a mirror, and when we look at him, we look into our own hidden faces, meditate on this at second level. Is this life reality? No. It is a film. The television screen is the retina of the mind's eye. Therefore, the television screen is part of the physical structure of the brain. Here is the hair I've lost in the past three months. Take it. It belongs to you. You will know why one day. That's fucking crazy, man. Welcome to We're a Movie Club. I am the Oig, and I sound like this. Today's movie is Brazil. And now, your host, Anil Hansiri. Hello, strange cinema seekers, and welcome to Weird Movie Club. I'm your host, Daniel Wishes, and with me, as always, is my co-host and partner... Sari! How are you doing today, Sari? Good! This is part two of the Fiji edition of Weird Movie Club. Yay! Because we are still in Fiji. Today, we're going to watch the Terry Gilliam movie, Brazil. This movie has absolutely nothing to do with Fiji. Right. I couldn't find any movies that were weird enough that had anything to do with Fiji. The movie Castaway was shot in Fiji. Mm. But that's not really weird. The Blue Lagoon doesn't really fit. But as you know, we went to Brazil last year, and I thought it would be amazing to watch the movie Brazil while we were in Brazil. Right, we did a show there. Of course, the movie Brazil doesn't have anything to do with the country, but still I thought it would be cool. Yeah. But as you remember, our trip to Brazil was very short and very busy. Right, only three days or something. Yeah, it was only about three days, and we had to do a workshop, and we did a show in a school, and it's part of a festival. It was it was a lot, so we just didn't have time. So then I thought, why not watch Brazil and Fiji? Yay! So you know, because our Fiji trip's a bit more relaxed. We spent most of today snorkeling. That was nice. On the tiny little island of Mana. Matanom. Yes, we're on a very small little island off the coast of Fiji, and we're enjoying weird movies. Yay. It's the perfect vacation. Swimming all day with the little fishes, and then spending the night watching the classic film Brazil. That sounds like a vacation. It's a vacation. So I hope you'll vacation with us, and whether you're working or driving or wherever you're listening to this podcast, I hope that this podcast is like your little vacation. Mm. What do you know about the movie Brazil? I know Terry Gilliams. I've watched one of his movies. Right. Before we started Weird Movie Club, I showed you The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Yes. Munchausen's the only Terry Gilliam movie you've seen. Yeah. And you know who Terry Gilliam is? He's one of the Monty Python's members. Yeah, that's right. He didn't usually appear in sketches with them, but he did all the little animations. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I've probably watched this movie like over 10 times. Oh, really? 
like the movie. Yeah, but I haven't seen it for a really long time. Oh, how long? Oh, man. I guess since my early 20s. I watched this movie a lot in my early 20s, and I haven't really watched it since. So my memory of it is a little foggy. So it's almost like I'm kind of reacquainting myself with this film, too. Mm. So, weird movie fans, buckle up. We're going to have a short break watch the movie and then come back and then we hope you will join us for our discussion of the classic Terry Gilliam film Brazil Yay! see you after the break do you wake from your finest fantasy only to return to your daily nightmare then it's time to take a stand and into Brazil from Terry Gilliam director of Time Bandits Brazil it's only a state of mind From watching Brazil. Right. Pretty dark, dark movie. Yes. As a lot of weird movies tend to be, they tend to cover some dark subject matter. So what did you think overall, Sari? Dark. <laughs> Very dark, yeah. Dark. I hadn't seen this movie for a long time, and there are a lot of things I forgot about. Like, I forgot that this is actually, like Die Hard, like the movie Die Hard, this is kind of a Christmas movie. Yeah. I forgot about Seems that. like it. I also forgot about some of the the actors in it. They really had like kind of a star-studded cast. Uh, did you recognize any of the actors I in the movie? I recognized from the credit that there's a famous actor. Oh, you saw it in the credits. Yeah, he did the Harry. Harry title. Do do you know the actor? Robert De Niro. Yeah, Robert De Niro. Did you? He's famous. He's very famous. Yes. Uh, did you recognize him in the movie no, when you saw him? I don't him? know him well, you know. His most recent film was The Irishman. Yeah. You know, Taxi Driver and... Uh, mm. But you know, you, you're not that familiar with a lot of Hollywood actors, I guess. No. Uh, so let's recap the story. Okay. To understand the story, you have to kind of understand the world. Because this movie takes place in a very unusual kind of alternative universe, I guess. Or, or different world. Mm. where it's kind of futuristic but kind of in the past as well right it's kind of a dystopian science fiction movie Mm. but even from when it was shot in the 1980s a lot of the technology was old-fashioned stuff Mm. and that was intentional terry gilliam didn't want to say that this movie was about the future Mm. he wanted to make it like a science fiction movie but about his view of the present at that time the 1980s so in order to sort of make it a science fiction but not a science fiction he kind of incorporated both past and future technology Mm -hmm. and created a new style that a lot of people have imitated, a style called retro-futuristic, which has inspired a lot of other stories and things. Some people say that this movie was actually the beginning of the whole steampunk movement. Really? Yeah. The steampunk movement kind of evolved from retro-futuristic stuff. The whole idea of like taking old technology and mixing it with like futuristic technology kind of evolved into what steampunk is. This movie is kind of... Terry Gilliam's version of 1984. Uh. It takes place in this world where the government controls everything, but it's like very inefficient and mistakes are made. And it's not like a happy world to live in. So he really, he was just super unhappy. He's so nightmare in his real life, seems like. Yeah. The main character is a guy by the name of Sam Laurie. 
who works for this sort of KGB sort of organization that controls everything and collects information on everybody. And he works in the records department. His mother may or may not be sleeping with a guy who's like really high up in the organization, mm. but she's pulling strings to help him get a promotion, which he doesn't want. Mm. doesn't want the promotion. And during all this, there's an incident started off by something very tiny, a tiny little thing having a big impact. A guy kills a fly, it falls into a machine, and there's a criminal that the organization wants to arrest named Harry Tuttle. Yeah. And the machine accidentally changes the name to Buttle when the fly traps in. So because of that, the ministry arrests the wrong guy, an innocent guy, and they take him away and they torture him. And then because they had the wrong record, they didn't intend to kill him, but they didn't know he had a heart condition, so he dies. So Sam Laurie is sort of put on the case of this to sort of deal with this situation by giving some money to the widow of the guy who is caught wrong. All the technology in this movie is like really overcomplicated and kind of inefficient and nothing seems to work properly. There's these weird ducks that everybody has in their houses, these like kind of hoses. The movie even starts with like a commercial for like, get different colored ducks to make your house look nicer. And when I say ducks, I don't mean like the quack quack. I mean ducts. Yeah, like ducks. Heating, cooling. Anyway, so he's having lots of problems with this house, including his air conditioning or heating unit goes on the fritz and it gets like boiling hot in his house. So he calls someone and they say, we can't send anyone yet. And then that's when Robert De Niro comes in. Right. He's the real Tuttle. His whole deal is that he just helps people fix their like climate control units for fun and adventure. Right. He doesn't even accept any payment and he's kind of doing it as an outlaw. He's like the Robin Hood of fixing people's cooling systems. But then after that, some actual repairmen come and they kind of figure out that this guy's been there and it's going to cause Sam some trouble later on. But he's able to like temporarily stop that. So when he goes to visit the widow to give her the check, he sees the widow's neighbor who just happens to be the woman from his dreams because he keeps having these dreams where he's this brave knight with this suit of armor and wings and flying through the city and being chased by these doll things and he sees this woman. It's the woman from his dreams. So he wants to learn more about her, but she runs away from him and it seems like she blows up his car, but we never actually see her do that. Mm. At the same time, there's also these terrorist attacks happening everywhere, like these brutal terrorist attacks where there's these bombs going off and killing people. So when we see um, Sam's car get blown up and she's in the proximity, we kind of think, oh, maybe she's one of these terrorists. So then because she's the woman of his dreams, he starts looking for her, but he reaches a dead end because he can't get her file. And the only way he could get the clearance to get her file is if he accepts the promotion and joins the Ministry of Information Retrieval, which he doesn't want to do possibly because they're like really, really evil. Mm. He also has a friend in the Information Retrieval company called Jack. Mm. And did you recognize the actor who played Jack? That was Michael Palin, who's also one of the members of Monty Python. Okay. The reason why Robert De Niro played that part in the movie is because Robert De Niro somehow got a copy of the script and he actually really wanted to play that character. But Terry Gilliam had already promised the character to his friend for Monty Python. So then he made that other part for Robert De Niro. Oh, so is it added that he... I'm not sure if, if it was added or if that was always a character, but, but the fact that Robert De Niro played such a small part and agreed to do it just showed how badly, I guess, he really wanted to be in this movie. Mm. Terry Gilliam was like, no, sorry, this is... Oh. 
Aww. This is for my friend, but I'll give you this other part. Aww. So he accepts the job and he moves into the new office and it's a bad office. He has to share a desk in between a wall with another guy. Uh. But he gets the information. He, f- he finds a woman whose name is Jill. He ends up getting into a bunch of trouble with her and there's a lot of confusion about is she or is she not actually a terrorist? Mm. Oh yeah, there was a bomb in the shopping center. Yeah, so he sees his mother. His mother, by the way, is like obsessed with plastic surgery. Right. And her friends as well. And he runs into his mother in a shopping complex and a bomb explodes. And he thinks that it might be Jill, the girl he's in love with. And he gets mad at her. But she's like, it wasn't me. And she starts trying to help people. Yeah, and then they got attacked. They got arrested by the scary militarized people. Yeah, they're kind of like these SWAT teams that go in and yeah, yeah, and take he was out. taken away, and he didn't know what happened to Jill. He got back to his office, and information retriever was like really mad at him. Right. And they gave him tons of work. Yeah, which he did not do any of his work. No. It seemed like he was originally a good employee, but by that yeah. point he just completely stopped caring about his actual job. Right. Yeah, he went back to his room. Right. Yeah, and then his room was a total mess with Be- full of ducks. Right, because those guys were still getting revenge. Yeah. But then Robert De Niro shows up again to help. Yeah. And what he does is he makes some adjustments. These guys have these suits on, these like plastic suits. Mm. I guess giving them air or heat or something so they can be inside the freezing cold apartment. And Robert De Niro changes it so that their suits fill up with sewage. Gross. It's a gross scene, yeah. But kind kind of funny. Yeah. And then he found Jill came to his room. Yeah. And he found her. Right. And he took her to his mom's place. Right. And it seems like they're going to finally hook up. Yeah. But then he has an idea. He's like, I know how to rescue you. Yeah. And he breaks into his boss's office. Right. Using a secret code for the elevator that I guess was a a message from his dad. Right. And he changed the records in the computers to say that Jill is dead. Right. So that the police wouldn't chase her anymore. Right. And then it kind of seems like a happy ending. They're like making love. And he says, there's kind of a gross line in the movie where he says, you're dead. And she says, well, how would you like... To enjoy a bit of necrophilia. Yeah, what does necrophilia mean? That means sex with a dead person. Oh, gross. Yeah, sorry, sir. But then it turns out that things haven't worked out well because the police come in and we hear some gunshots and it goes to black. Right. And he's been arrested and they think he's the terrorist. Right. And it's suggested that Jill got killed. Right. When all this was happening. When they were arrested. So then he's sent to be tortured by his friend, Jack. Right. To get information out of him. It's uh, looking really bad for Sam. But then, just as he's about to be tortured, Jack is shot in the head. And a bunch of, I guess, terrorists come in. They rescue him. And then there's a giant rescue where the soldiers come in. Like, all kinds of fighting. Starts to get a little bit dreamy at that point, though. Yeah. He goes to find his mom, who's at the funeral for her friend who's died. And for a few moments, the mom's face looks too young. And in fact, it looks like the face of Jill. Yeah, it does. Um, but then it actually turns back into his mom's face. Mm. Everywhere he goes, the police chase him. And we keep thinking he's escaped, but 
He's in, and then eventually he runs into a house, mm. which is a house being pulled by the back of Jill's truck. And mm. he, he's reunited. He's in the cab of the truck with Jill. And they go to this beautiful green countryside, unlike anything we've seen in the film mm. to that point. Because everything is like kind of industrial and awful looking. But mm. they've somehow found some paradise. But the paradise is interrupted by Sam's boss and Jack, who are looking at him. It seems like he's still in the chair. He's been in the chair the whole time. So the last 15 minutes or so of the movie was just a dream and he's actually lost his mind and we fade out as he's singing the Brazil song right and that's the end of the movie yes I've heard that Terry Gilliam has said that the moral of this movie or the message was that everything bad that happened to Sam was because he fell in love mm. and that falling in love is bad not sure if that was a joke or not <laughs> okay so I was worried about whether you'd like this movie or not, because it doesn't have a happy ending. Yeah. And you usually like movies with happy endings. Yeah. Although you enjoyed Horse Girl, and Horse Girl didn't really have a happy ending, did it? Well, I guess it kind uh, of did it, in a way. It had some satisfying ending. It had some, like, message of hope. While this movie didn't really have any hope at the end, it was pretty, yeah. pretty bleak. Yeah. What did you think of the, the humor in the movie? funny yeah yeah funny but dark yeah yeah so what are your feelings about the movie i don't like it i don't like this movie it's not my cup of tea is it just because of the ending yes yeah i was totally fine until that ending it's really kind of closes any possibility down and i don't like that like lots of weird movies are dark but weird movies have something like there might be this possibility this possibility and it's kind of they kind of let the door open so that like people can imagine but this one no like this is the fact yeah he loses his mind his girlfriend's died that's a, all a lot of weird movies are kind of open-ended yeah this one isn't yeah there's no question like is this a dream or not it's made really clear that it is a dream yeah i can't believe you watched this 10 times most people do like this movie okay a lot of people are okay with having movies that don't always have happy endings yeah you, i, I you, mean you seem... i don't say i don't say it's a bad movie i think it's a good movie but i don't want to watch it over and over like if there's like bad ending happens i don't want to say it again because it's depressing Right. And it's like, I don't like the, this bitterness, like bitter feeling. Okay. Like aftertaste, you know. Hmm. So the movie was kind of long, right? Uh, this yeah. version. There's yeah. different, actually a bunch of different versions of this movie. And the version I showed you is kind of the, like the normal version that people watch. The version that was actually released. After Terry Gilliam turned in this movie, it was like 10 minutes longer than it was supposed to be. And producer really didn't like how the movie turned out. He, uh, he thought audiences won't like this. So he took it upon himself to start re-editing the movie without Terry Gilliam's permission. Wow. And he cut the movie down by like quite a lot, like down to like 80 minutes or something. Uh. So he cut like maybe, I don't know, like 40 minutes out of the film. Wow. And he changed the ending to make it a happy ending. Oh. I think in that version, which is now known as the Love Conquers All version. In the Love Conquers All version of the film, it's like you see that sequence where he escapes, except it's implied that it's real. And the last shot is they show them going to the green farm and then they 
cut to another shot, which is like a repeat of the shot earlier when Sam is having a dream where he's flying with Jill as an angel up into the sky. They end with that shot. Okay. And then they show some clouds over the credits, which rumor has it was actually footage recycled from the NeverEnding Story from NeverEnding Story cloud shots that didn't get used. Really? Yeah. Terry Gilliam was really unhappy that this was being done behind his back. Right, for sure. So he put out a full page ad in like some magazine saying like, please don't watch this movie. This isn't my version of the movie. And what happened is, is his version of the movie went to some festivals and won like a ton of awards. Mm. So the movie studios finally, after a big fight, agreed to release his version because oh. it was like very critically acclaimed and people really loved his version. Okay. So in the end, he won and got his version out there. Oh, that's good for him. Would you have preferred to have watched the other version, the Love Conquers All version? That version would be very cheesy. I wouldn't like it either. It's like his kind of, like, director's intention is completely, like, going, like, it was very intentional to show that kind of beautiful landscape sequence to show that he's actually dreaming. So it would be really weird to just finish in the scene because it's not director's intention. It's kind of clear and that would make the movie good. I'm not saying the movie was bad. I'm saying I'm saying the movie is good, but I just personally don't like it. Like I don't like the intention why the ending has to be just not open ending. Just this makes people makes me depressed. It just comes to my personal preference. The thing we disagree on is is I like the movie and you don't like the movie. Yeah. But I will say that you're not obviously you're not alone. This movie is like really considered a classic today, but at the time that it was released in the theaters, there were people who walked out of the theaters. I wouldn't walk out of the theater. Okay, I'm not saying it was a bad movie. I would watch it till the end and decide what I think. Were you enjoying the movie right up until the end? Or was there any point in the movie where you're like, oh, this is too dark? Because there are like some dark moments that might turn people off. Like there's the moment where we find out that Buttle has Mm. died. And then the moment where we find out that Jill dies is a rough moment. And both of those deaths happen off camera. We don't actually see them die. We just kind of hear that they die. I don't know what's worse. Like actually seeing them die or but it hits you in the gut when you find out about those characters dying kind of off screen and there's also like a little bit of uncertainty that makes it worse because you know it's a movie and in movie there's always these reversals where it's like you think a character's dead and then it turns out that they're alive and in this movie they kind of subvert that like in the dream we're given this idea that oh Jill is still alive although I don't know how many people actually think that because it becomes very obvious at the end that it is a dream right with all the things that are happening and falling through the coffin and stuff yeah. and when we were watching the movie together you had like kind of a big reaction when you found out that Buttle died yeah but that wasn't enough to make you want to stop watching the movie no because that could happen to anybody what about the moment when they say that Jill died ah I didn't really have strong feeling towards Jill no no she's kind of mysterious and I don't know why she started to like him even though he was completely crazy yeah to be honest that question crossed my mind too (laughs) why does she like him it happens a bit fast I mean there is like sort 
sort of a progression where at first she doesn't like him. The first moment where she starts to like him is yeah. she thinks that she's accidentally run over him with a car. Yeah. And then she's so happy to find out that she didn't accidentally run him over with the car. Yeah. The way he rescued himself was by hanging on to the front of her car in a very kind of Mr. Bean kind of <laughs> physically funny way. Yeah. And she kind of looked at him like, no, he's kind of cute. And that's, I guess, when she started liking him. But still, it did feel like a little bit hard to believe that... It's like, you know, your first impression yeah. was like minus 10. And by not running over by car, it could go up to like minus 8 or something, but not even get to zero. Yeah. You need, like, in order to like somebody, you have to be like plus 10 or something. And like, it's a big gap. And I really don't understand why she starts to be easy on her. Because there's another problem too, right? Which is, she has no idea what's going on. She doesn't know that she's in trouble, right? He's like trying to rescue her and she doesn't know how much danger she's in. Yeah. And then he like deletes her from the computer. And there's yeah. no scene where he explains to her what's going on. But she's relieved that he's deleted her, which makes me think at some point off camera, mm. he must have explained to her the danger she's in. And at some point she learned, but we didn't see it. Mm. Because otherwise she would have been like, she would have been mad. She would be like, why did you delete me? And that's going to make her life a million times harder. Like that's not going to be good for her. But the fact that she seemed happy about it was like, oh, I guess he must have like explained it to her or convinced her or like but even then it's weird that she would just go along with that so easily like because yeah. I'd be upset if somebody deleted me from a computer even if I was a criminal that made me think oh maybe in all those off-screen conversations when he was explaining things to her she fell in love with him it's not a great explanation though is it yeah to me uh the main character what's his name again Sam Lowry Sam right Sam started off okay you know. I thought he was like a really like he was kind of cool at the beginning. He was yeah, like a really cool, cool guy. And but, he was smart. But then when he met her, he turned into Mr. Bean. <laughs> he, yeah, became he became like this really, really goofy character. Dumb and stupid and yeah. like, but because he was the main character I tried to follow him. Yeah. But I can't really because he's he used to be cool but now he's so dumb and why is he, is he doing oh, that? I, and I think that was like what Terry Gilliam was trying to show is that he was like this really intelligent guy, but then love just made him a complete idiot. <laughs> yeah, but then like because yeah, it was weird. Like usually, usually in lots of uh, stories, the main character starts off kind of likable but not cool, not skilled, and then like it's kind of I mean maybe it's only adventure, but it kind of grows up to be like a better person to learn something but this is kind of opposite yeah this is the opposite this movie kind of goes against a lot of your expectations a lot of things that you would normally expect to happen in the movie don't and it's sort of like a backwards progression instead of following the path of a hero growing it's really like a demise yeah and, and then a tragedy at the end mm. you know it's kind of like a shakespearean tragedy in a, in a way where he starts off better except his life's not that great at the beginning so you kind of mm. want to watch him go up not down yeah usually a tragedy is like when a king becomes a pauper and a drama or a adventure is when a pauper becomes a king mm. he was never really a king mm. i mean he had like advantage over like other people because he had like a better job than other people he was like in a better position than buttle right mm. but still his life wasn't that great 
No, nobody else cool except maybe the turtle. Robert De Niro's character, yeah, yeah is pretty that's cool. cool. Well, Jill's kind of, she, she's pretty cool. Like, we don't really learn a lot about her. If we did learn more about her, I imagine she might have turned out to be a cool character. I remember when she was driving her giant truck, you kind of said, like, oh, she's a badass. Oh, yeah, yeah, I liked her at that point. Yeah. I started losing her when she started to like him. That's because it felt <laughs> inconsistent with her character didn't mm, it okay. like that's the problem is it, it was, he was kind of... so annoying like he was like kept asking about the present and like yeah he started accusing her of like yeah it and... it felt like the only reason why she ended up liking him is because that's what needed to happen for the movie yeah <laughs> it's like the movie needed them to be together but it didn't really make sense no, he was like becoming so stupid and like she is such a cool established character who doesn't really seem like... If they had given us some kind of reason, like just any tiny little reason why she would like him back, but we we're never really given that. Mm, Other yeah. than she's happy that she didn't murder him by accident. <laughs> right. Which I guess shows that she's a, establishes that she's a good person. Yeah. Well, not only that, there's a scene early on in the movie where Sam is in a restaurant with his mom mm. and there's a terrorist attack and half the people in the restaurant are killed. Like really horribly and he just kind of ignores it like he doesn't care right and the restaurant puts up like a little divider between them and the yeah. victims so they can still enjoy their meal which i don't know how they would because the food looked disgusting yeah <laughs> they're eating like some kind of mashed ground up gross food but he's like he he doesn't seem interested in helping at all but then when the bomb goes off it's almost treated like a very sick joke when we first see the terrorist attacks it's not funny but yeah but then in the shopping scene she's like we can't just ignore these people we got to help them these people are actually suffering and it's only then that he kind of realizes it and starts helping it and that's because of her which right. i think really shows that she's like a better person than he is yeah and she kind of forces him to try to be a better person not that he ever like really becomes a no. better person he does do things in the movie to help people but everything he does is either to do his job or because he wants something he never really actually does something out of actual goodness. Yeah. Even though in his heart, he dreams of being this hero. Mm. He never actually does anything hero. There's one moment where, you know, he has this fantasy where he's fighting this kind of samurai, kind uh. of weird samurai creature with uh. his sword. And he's like a brave knight. And then there's a scene where he's being attacked by some of those SWAT team guys. Mm. And it seems like he's going to stand up to them. And he like, you see the fantasy and you're like, oh, this is his moment, his moment where he's going to be brave yeah. and actually fight against against them but then it turns out he's just holding a mannequin arm right. and he gets like beat up right away and right. like nothing heroic is accomplished yeah in a normal movie like a normal hollywood movie he would beat up the bad guys he there would be a happy ending there would be like some kind of sense mm. of hope or like he would grow as a character instead of getting worse as a character mm. uh, hollywood movies are generally pro-love not criticizing mm. love yeah but he didn't know anything either Right, you brought up the Shakespeare like tragedy, and I do really love uh, King Lear, mm. my favorite Shakespeare. And it is tragedy, and it has like a bad ending. But King Lear kind of regrets. Like, he starts seeing the nightmare, and he has, like, a very strong regret. And then after, like, he's defeated, and there's, like, another character who's, like, 
going for justice. But there's nobody in the movie. I mean, like, I liked it when he started kind of having some delusion about people who are like battles, families. You know, he has some guilty feeling. It's interesting because the other thing about tragedies, right, is usually there is a moment near the end of a tragedy、mm. where the main character kind of realizes what they've done wrong. Right. In Macbeth,、yeah. he, he realizes his mistake.、Yeah. You know, he's like, oh, I believed that I was invincible because, you know, I couldn't be killed by a person who was born of a woman, but this guy was born of a, a cesarean. So、mm. I actually can't. Be defeated. That's my mistake. And but、right. Sam never really has that epiphany where he's like, "Oh, this is how I messed up." That never really happens. Right till the end, he's still like dreaming of being a hero. <laughs> he's never like,、yeah. he's never has that moment. If he had had some moment before the end where he's like, "Okay, I see what I did wrong. I didn't help people, or I should never have fallen in love, or not that on the nose, but some moment where he was like, 'Oh, I realize how I screwed up,' and then he kind of had his tor. Moment at the end, maybe it would feel more satisfying somehow than just yeah. There was like no change in him as a character, really. Yeah, for me, I try really hard. I make lots of effort to follow his point of view. Right. I always do that. I always try to follow the main character's point of view and feeling. There's like a lack of catharsis, I guess. Yeah, I think so. I think I just like catharsis.、Yeah. To be honest, even though I enjoy this movie, I, I guess I have to agree with you that the ending does feel it feels like there could have been more,、mm. some sort of catharsis or some kind of moment that would have made it a more satisfying ending. Well, so what do you really love about the movie? I love the humor. I love、mm. the visuals. The visuals are amazing. All the like little kind of robotic kind of things and the、right. futuristic technology and some of the shots. A lot of people have copied stuff from this movie. City of Lost Children.、Mm. Borrowed a lot from this movie. They were、oh, really visually inspired yeah, by this movie. There's a movie which we'll probably do later for a weird movie club, but we haven't done it yet. You haven't seen it by the Coen Brothers called the Hudsucker Proxy.、Mm-hmm. And there's some scenes like shots that are like really similar. There's a shot at the beginning of this movie where they're showing. You know, in the offices, just this long hallway with all these like workers all dressed alike with papers、mm. moving around. They copied that shot almost exactly. They all like the exact same shots in the Hudsucker、oh. Proxy. Like they really got inspiration. All of Terry Gilliam's movies just have the most amazing visuals. They don't、yeah. always have the best storylines, but they always have great visuals, and they always have like a lot of really brilliant scenes. Like if you look at just the pieces、mm. and you ignore the overall story,、mm. it has like more amazing set pieces than most movies do. Right. You know, if you just enjoy it on like a scene by scene basis, you're like, wow, I've never seen a scene like this in a movie. Yeah. It's just when you put it all together, it doesn't quite flow as well as some other movies. There are movies that are more satisfying, but just follow the book and don't have those like amazing scenes and visuals in them. And、mm. that's, I suppose, what makes this a weird movie. Right. That's what I love about movies like this. That's why I can kind of forgive the fact that, to be honest, I guess I didn't love the ending either.、Um. But I still love the movie because of all the 
the pieces. Yeah. All the like scenes, like all the dream scenes are amazing. Like when he's flying around and the yeah. visuals of his suit and the retro futuristic technology, which he basically invented. Like lots of people copied him, but he was the one who like created the that idea of having wow. this like technology that exists both in the future and the past at the same time. You know, the, mm. the tiny little CRT TV screens with giant yeah. like magnifying glasses in front yeah. of them. Shots where you see it from the other point of view. So their faces are all enlarged, like yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, the mask work, the sort of creatures. Yeah, like the mask work, yeah. The, the world building, like the world he's created, it's a very dark world. And it's right. obviously meant as satire of our world, you know. Right. His idea was like 1984 is like kind of out of date. And when he made that movie... When he made Brazil, it was very close to 1984. And he's like, I want to show what it's actually like now. Uh. So it's all about bureaucracy. Like, that's how he saw the world at the time. Like, just stupid, pointless bureaucracy. People not caring about other human beings. Uh. Tragedies just being ignored or taken as a joke. Uh. Kind of the way on the news you hear, like, 5,000 people died, but your brain can't register it. So, it, like, you just don't care about it. Uh. And putting that into, like, sort of a way where, like, well, what if it happened right beside you? Like you were in the same room, but you just still ignored it. You know, just like ways of looking things and like using satire to show like the darker nature of ourselves and how we complain. Like Sam, he seems really excited when Robert De Niro comes to fix his air conditioner. He's like, wow, this is so cool. You know, I don't mind. He didn't seem like he cared at all about breaking the law. But at the same time, he's part of the system. He's part of the problem. Part of him is kind of like, yeah, I'm a hero, but he's not really. He's like part of the very system that he's pretending like he's fighting against, even though he's actually doing nothing against them. Right. And that's sort of like, I guess, a criticism of how things were in the 80s, which still kind of still feels a bit similar today, you know. Hasn't really changed. Although years later, Terry Gilliam made another science fiction movie. Mm. That was a dystopian movie, Mm. which he said was kind of like a more updated version of Brazil. Which maybe we'll watch another time on Weird Movie Club. Sure. I like his style, you know. That's cool and humor. The office he was working, like everybody was working, and but as soon as the boss closes the door, <laughs> they're all watching the movie. Yeah, <laughs> that was funny. And no matter how hard the boss tries to catch them, they're yeah, like they're always right. one step ahead. <laughs> Yeah. You see them working and it's really impressive, <laughs> but then you realize that it's all for show. Yeah. Which is, I think, a way of looking at like bureaucracy. It's like, it's a lot of pretending to work, pretending that your job is important when really it's just like, it's like a show. Yeah. It's a performance. I can really relate to that because, uh, you know, I, my second job. You mean not being a puppeteer? Yeah, yeah. I used to work uh, um I used to be an employee of a computer company to install like accounting system to like companies okay. for business. And they spent tons of money, like, you know, companies spend tons of money. So companies buy accounting system or reporting system, there's lots of paying lots of money. Kind of like the systems that they use in this movie with yeah. like the tubes and sending messages yeah, yeah, to yeah, tubes. Yeah, 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 it's like that, but it's just invisible, you know. Mm. But it's it often doesn't work. Mm. So like, you know, engineers have to keep updating and it costs a lot, just maintenance fee. Uh, Cause like they sell like a package 
the package software, but usually those packages can't adapt to each company's business operation. But the, those packages are like selling point is like you don't have to make lots of changes, but it's not true. Like you have to make lots of changes, like a kind of construction and always happening and companies keep paying. And, but their, their intention, their originally the reason why they want to install like a new software is to reduce the amount of work they have right but instead they're paying more money to just have to keep working to change their operation or system paying more money and then those like companies who install the software make more money i see it's like i can't have like sometimes it's like kind there, of magic there are like some things in the movie kind of similar in a way but like a bit sillier like when he gets breakfast, there's like a machine that makes him breakfast. Yeah. It puts toast in the machine and then it pours coffee, but it pours coffee on the toast. It would have been so much easier for him to just put the toast in the bread. That's right. And like make the coffee himself. Like he didn't need those machines, but those machines were built to save time. But instead they just like destroyed all his food and like yeah, wasted yeah. time. And then he has to pay to get them fixed. Yeah. It's similar, except yeah. like a bit sillier yeah. than what you're saying, I guess. <laughs> it's the sillier version of what you're saying, I suppose. Yeah. So I have one big question. Why is the title Brazil? That's funny you mentioned that because that's what I was actually going to bring up oh, cool. next. That was like, it's almost like you read my mind. I was just going to talk about that next. Okay. When they made this movie, they didn't have a title in mind. Hmm. Actually, I think their, the original title they had in mind, like the working title, was because this movie was kind of inspired by 1984. The original title they had in mind was 1984 and a Half. Oh. Terry Gilliam had this idea of using the song Brazil because he, he had this idea of like this sort of, you know, just awful, awful, horrible place mm. that's awful, but kind of beautiful in a way, but still kind of awful. Mm. Like the, the awfulness makes it beautiful, like an industrial way, like in the way that David Lynch, I keep bringing up David Lynch, the way David Lynch finds really industrial, ugly stuff, beautiful. But he imagined this guy living in this like horrible dystopia and listening to a radio that's playing songs from far away and imagining being far, far away. Oh. So the idea was of Brazil was, you know, just like dreaming of being in this beautiful faraway place. Oh. And that's sort of what it represents in the movie when people are singing about Brazil. Oh. I think it's Robert De Niro's character who originally hums it and then Sam gets it in his head. And of course, it's the last thing he's singing in the movie. Right. Because he's dreaming about being in another place. I see. He's escaping through his imagination. Which is like, I guess a big theme of this movie is like, he's always escaping using his imagination. Yeah. Which I think is another reason why I really connected to this movie because I've often found myself in just horrible situations I couldn't get out of and had to use my imagination as like sort of my only escape. Mm. But this movie actually went through a whole bunch of different titles before they finally settled on naming the movie after the song. Mm. Some of the other titles included The Ministry of Torture, mm. How I Learned to Live with the System So Far, mm. and So That's Why the Bourgeoisie Sucks. Those are all horrible titles. <laughs> really, It sounds like something but Japanese, uh, you know, translated titles. Right. Be. Because in Japan, usually a movie title won't be a one word title. Like in the West, we love one word movie titles like yeah. Brazil or Up. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what was the Japanese title for Up? Uncle K. 
Carl with flying balloon house. Uncle Carl's flying balloon house. Yeah. Doesn't have the same ring as up. What do you think the Japanese title for Brazil would be? I'm, I think I know it. Future City Brazil. So this movie was co-written by Tom Stoppard, mm. who's a famous playwright. He wrote Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. And he also wrote the movie Shakespeare in Love. Oh, okay. I know you saw that one, right? Yeah, I did. It wasn't a weird movie, was it? No. So when this movie came out, it didn't get all good reviews. Hmm. Roger Ebert only gave it two out of four stars. Oh, that's And he, harsh. he said that the movie was hard to follow. Mm. I didn't find it hard to follow. Me neither. Did I you was... find it hard to follow? No, it was easy to follow. Yeah, strange. I don't agree with that review. In 2004, Total Film Magazine named Brazil the 20th greatest British movie of all time. In 2005, Time Magazine named Brazil one of the 100 best films of all time. Oh. Channel 4 voted Brazil as one of the 50 films to see before you die. Oh. Empire Magazine put it on the list of the 500 greatest films of all time. Wired Magazine rated it as the fifth best science fiction movie in the top 20 list of science fiction movies. Mm. And so on and so on. I'm reading this off of Wikipedia. Okay. I don't want anyone to think that I'm trying to just steal and take credit for Wikipedia's <laughs> yes. hard work. I, I am just reading this from Wikipedia. But yeah, it's gotten like a lot of accolades. The film was nominated for two Academy Awards um, for Original Screenplay and Best Art Direction. Didn't win? No, I think it was just nominated. Mm. Do you know what the Criterion Collection is? No. They take like kind of the most classic movies of all time and they put them on the highest quality DVD or Blu-ray they can with like a billion special features. Mm. Well, it's been released four times as part of the Criterion Collection. Wow. This movie has absolutely no CG in it. Mm. Everything in the movie is like all practical effects. Right. So all the sets were real. Yeah. You know that set at the end mm. where he's in that giant room? Yeah. That was real. Oh. Did they make it? They didn't have that big of a budget. <laughs> that was actually filmed at a former gas and coal power station oh. in Croydon, England. It was like a giant power station. Oh. It looked amazing, right? Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, in uh, 1991, that building was demolished. Oh. And they built an Ikea there. <laughs> okay. People have pointed out the irony mm. that this movie is kind of anti-capitalism and right. there's an Ikea there. Yeah. So you can go visit that Ikea and be like, wow, this is where the depressing ending of Brazil happened. Mm. We should go there next time we're in uh, next time we're in the UK and we could buy some like mm. shelves or something mm. that we have to put together ourselves because mm. it's Ikea. Right. Or we could just get some Swedish meatballs. Yeah, and beer. I'm sure it'll taste better than the uh, the food that they're eating in the movie. Yeah. So it says here that Terry Gilliam, I can't find the source of this. I just kind of found this randomly on the internet in some article about 13 fun facts about Brazil, but I can't find the source of this. It says that Gilliam has said that he's very optimistic about things. And he has a theory that Brazil is a difficult film for a pessimist to watch, but okay for an optimist to watch. He says for a pessimist, it confirms their worst fears, but an optimist could somehow find a grain of hope in the ending. How? <laughs> I don't I, know. I believe I'm more um, optimist than a pessimist. Yeah. Because Terry Gilliam is pretty much just calling you a pessimist right now in this thing. How do you feel about that? I'm not pessimist. You're more like pessimist than me. That's right. 
Because yeah. I'm definitely the pessimist out of the yeah. two of us. But it's interesting he said that. That makes it sound like there is some hope in the ending that we just missed somehow. He also says in this quote, cynicism bothers me because cynicism is in a way an admission of defeat. Where skepticism is fairly healthy, it also implies that there is a possibility of change. I don't know. Is there any hope, any glimmer, any speck of hope at the end of Brazil, do you think? No. I mean, we know that Jill is dead. Yeah. Or it's pretty clear that she's dead. Yeah. Sam has lost his mind. Yeah. We never actually find out who the terrorists are. Right. Is Robert De Niro still out there somewhere? He never yeah. gets caught. Yeah. So maybe that's it. Maybe Robert De Niro will... Robert De Niro is the only hope. Yeah, maybe... But he's not really involved in the main story. He doesn't actually do anything other than fix people's air conditioners. Yeah. 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 And those like, you know, evil government is still there yeah and powerful people still in powerful position yeah i don't see any hope me neither but maybe that's because we're pessimists mm, <laughs> i was <laughs> i believed i'm not pessimist i think that's a mystery that we'll never solve where's the secret <laughs> secret happy ending in terry gilliam's version of the ending of brazil which is should be the only version right because it's his movie everything he says it's a joke certainly possible i'm sorry that you didn't enjoy the movie as much as i did um but if we agreed on everything i guess that would make the podcast boring yeah so i think so, so i hope you enjoyed listening to it and if you want to like get in touch with us and tell us what you thought of brazil or if you found the secret hint of optimism or mm-hmm. hope at the end uh please let us know and uh i guess the next time you hear from us we will probably no longer be in fiji no i don't know where we'll be probably japan but probably who, but who knows? who knows shall we sing our way out yeah brazil la 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 Brazil Brazil Wow good harmonies All right bye everyone Fine you so much for listening Next week movie is Fly me Lucy Saisama <laughs> That's right, the leg. Our next movie is the 2019 Japanese comedy Fly Me to the Saitama, directed by Hideki Takeuchi and written by Tomokazu Tokunaga, based on the manga Tande Saitama by Mineo Maya. Until next time, you don't exist anymore. I tell you.